0: ladies and gentlemen thank you once again for joining us here on inc live for the ufc 281 preview show my name is carl bimwich and i am joined by the man on the right hand side of my screen he is the billy gun to my road dog it's joe Neal. joe thank you very much for joining us
1: glad to be here you know you're the you're the jeff hardy to my matt hardy or maybe the matt hardy
0: now i'm uh, the broken one definitely the yeah broken e- one. excellent yeah delete <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and i want to say a big thank you to everyone who has been tuning in for all of our content here on inc live slowly trying to claw our way to the 1000 subscriber mark you've been a big help in doing so i've been really happy to see all the support you've given joe's um Retrospectives on the Retro Review series, also his post-fight recaps, and also for these preview shows as well, and we're covering a big one today, it's UFC 281, as the UFC makes its annual trip to Madison Square Garden. Joe, I think it's safe to say that, I think people always like to look at what are sort of those sort of big four, big five pay-per-views that the UFC do every year, and Mm -hmm. I think for most people, MSG is a locked-on part of their awesome
1: absolutely it's we mentioned it last time but it feels like abu dhabi has become part of that big four uh i guess brazil would be the fourth one but you know for sure international fight week is like the wrestlemania in a sense but this is like the summer slam you if you're a pro wrestling fan to think of that analogy
0: yeah i think there's a lot of mma fans that seem a bit regretful of the fact that there are so many big pro wrestling connections when it comes to the sport.
1: <laughs> I, I was like that too. I had my uh, and, and no offense to anybody, but I, I always refer to it as my angsty stage where I was like pro wrestling. Oh, I'm not a kid anymore, but now I'm like, oh no, it it's great, you know. And they they kind of they're they're closer together in a weird way than boxing is to me, you know, like in terms and, of their business structure at least.
0: And how would you say this MSG card compares to some of the other ones they've done over the years, like UFC two or five? Is arguably one of the most stacked per views that the UFC have ever done. This mm-hmm. still has a lot of name value in there, but it maybe doesn't have that sort of it's not like overflowing over the top of the glasses were. Well.
1: Yeah, I I when I was looking at this card again this week, I I I felt like, you know, um the bigger names were the last card at 280. I thought the bigger names were there, personally. Uh, looking at this one, it's like, oh, okay. These are uh these are names. We have names here. But I think in terms of matchups, this is a a really good one on paper. So who knows if the the quality will stack up, you know, because the name value, I don't think it stacks up to the 205s, the 217s and all that. But uh, in terms of, you know, potential matchups, this could be a very, very good one.
0: And we'll talk about this card in a lot more detail later on. Before we do that, though, we need to talk about some of the future plans that the UFC may be having in stock over the next few months. And from what we're seeing, a lot of the rumours going around, it could be a very international flavour for the UFC at the start of the year. All the rumours going around is that we're going to be going to Brazil in January. So that's the first time since the COVID-19 pandemic that we've gone to Brazil. Australia in February, rumoured to be market share versus Alex Volkanovsky. And a rumoured UK card taking place in March.
1: I love all of that. The March one... We already know what that main event needs to be, uh. at least who needs to be in that main event. I, I don't care for who they're looking at in that title fight, but uh, I Leon has to headline that card in my mind.
0: I think it's a given. It's it's going to be uh. interesting to see where they actually choose to hold it because I'm hearing a lot of rumors that they might be looking at a stadium show. The mind is that high that they could be looking at. I'm hearing Cardiff being mentioned, where, of course, the WWE did an event earlier this year. Um, so, and that's about 60,000 people. So imagine that in the UK for mixed martial arts.
1: Yeah, that'd be insane. Uh, I mean the UK cards this year, uh, well, not so much the last one, but the first one this year where I made my debut, just, you know, throwing that out <laughs> little there. Pat on the but, back
0: there,
1: yeah, you know, my, uh, my channel debut, but, um, that card was in the crowd was so explosive, uh, that I, I, I have to imagine the second the UFC saw the reaction, the live reaction, they went, we got to come back for a pay-per-view here.
0: And you can imagine a lot of the British names that they'll get on there as well, because obviously Leon is almost expected to headline, but you're going to have names like Paddy Pimlet in there, Molly uh, McCann, Darren Till, Paul Craig. I expect the usual suspects to be appearing on that card somewhere.
1: Oh yeah, if Aspinall wasn't hurt, I would love for him to uh, at least co-main, but uh, he's uh you know heal up bud. that's all i'm gonna say i that looked like a pretty gnarly injury
0: yeah. and there has been a lot of injuries this year i think someone pointed out we've had something like four or five main events this year which have been ended by injury
1: yeah i i thought it was just featherweights until i saw that statistic and i went okay well uh because i you know I, I always think of the yair because last we had last week and then we had yair and ortega and um I was like, but no, it's been multiple. I forget the Aspinall one, and there was another one as well.
0: Lahovitz versus Vuckic.
1: Yeah, that's right. That was another one. Yeah, it was one of my earlier cards I did. That was bad, and it, all all leg related too. Just oof. Yeah. Bad bad year for legs and knees.
0: I have to say we're recording this on a Saturday on the fifth of November, so of course that's Guy Fawkes Night here in the UK. So I will need to move this along before we start hearing the fireworks behind me. So we're going to be moving on to the prelims here. You can see those on our screen right now. And we've got a pretty good fight, which is going to be serving as the main event of the prelims. I would argue these two are, how should I put this, company men to an extent. It's Brad Riddell taking on Renato Moyakano. Both of these guys have had a lot of pushing from the UFC. They've had sort of mixed blessings in their recent fights, but... Both guys more than capable of putting on a banger. UFC doing a real, really smart thing putting these two together.
1: That car, that fight is awesome. I didn't know about it until this week. I definitely wish there was more promotion behind it, but this that, that, that fight is really good. Uh, I'm definitely excited to see how the fight plays out on the feet because Moikano has been very content with striking lately. But on the ground, he has the a big advantage. But on the feet, I feel like Riddell, it, it could be a showcase fight for him. Uh, And I don't remember seeing how his defensive wrestling is. So, kind of curious to see. Uh,
0: Another big storyline is the fight below that, which is Dominic Reyes finally back in action. First time in about 18 months that he'll be uh, competing in the Octagon. And I think the UFC have made pretty smart matchmaking. They've given him Ryan Spann, who... I think does have a lot of upside, but I wouldn't call him a... I wouldn't call him like a future champion or a rising prospect or anything like that. It's a good litmus test to see where Dominic Reyes stands right now, because he was the guy who, in the eyes of a lot of people, including myself, beat John Jones. But since then, there's been two losses in a row, Blahovitz and then Yiri Prohovska. So he isn't losing to scrubs. He's losing to very, very good fighters. After 18 months out is this going to be the same guy that he was on the way up into the UFC, into the, into the title picture as it were?
1: I know he said he wanted to get his head right, and he's been kind of keeping his head down and just training from from what I understand. Uh, he's So I, I would love to see him show up and just have that old Dominic Reyes because the old Dominic Reyes was terrifying. You know, He, he was one of these – we used to talk about it with – like Rory McDonald, these guys who have no base in anything, they just kind of walk in day one and train everything. He was another guy like that. He was a multi-sport athlete and then just decided, hey, I'm going to train everything and give a crack at this. And he was spectacular. Uh, I thought he beat John Jones, and his three losses really, in hindsight, aren't that bad. Uh, so I, I definitely I, – I don't know if I want to say I can guarantee that he'll come back looking good, but I think it's a very strong possibility – I, I Maybe if he had, could have some ring rest and get caught, but I, I do think that uh, we could see some maybe potential new wrinkles in his game
0: even. Do you think may maybe benefited from coming up through the ranks at a time when light heavyweight maybe didn't have the strength and depth that it does now? Because he came around the time when you had guys like Thiago Santos, Anthony Smith getting title shots, and... In the time that he's been away, we're seeing the new guard. We're seeing the Ankolaevs and the Rakiches and the Blahovits coming to the fore.
1: I think it hurt him a little bit. Um, I I think if he would have come along, funny enough, maybe six months earlier or six months after, I think he would have been in a very good spot. Uh, Because I think if – or in terms of six months later, I think his name would be in these Ankolaevs, these uh, Jamala Hills, who I'm very hot on currently. And uh, and the others like that, he would have been like right there with him, like with the Giri's and stuff um, or six months before he probably would have been champion. He probably would have got that rematch with John Jones or, you know, I, I could see him taking on and beating at that time, a uh, uh, Tiago Santos uh, to in an Anthony Smith to get that title shot uh, against Jones earlier. And I think he, you know, any other night, that same fight, I think a judge probably gives it to him.
0: We often make reference to uh, the UFC maybe having some company favourites. I think it's safe to say that one of them, and we go back to the UK for this one, is Molly McCann. She's been producing some spectacular knockouts. uh, Probably two of the big highlights of the two UK cards we've had this year. Giving her a showcase fight on the MSG card was always going to make sense. and the UFC making the right decision, though, putting her against Erin Blanchfield? 9-1 record, very highly regarded by... A lot of people within the community. She's the biggest underdog on this card. It seems to be a little bit of a waste of the Molly McCann momentum to put her against somebody who could very easily take sort of like the hype away from her.
1: I think that's a bad call. Uh, personally, I, I I agree with you, or I agree with that notion. Um, Molly McCann. I, I think she's very impressive. I think she has a lot of impressive wins. Uh, her most recent ones, of course, been fantastic finishes. But I, I question the level of competition. Mm-hmm. And here against Aaron Blanchfield, I, you, you uh, last time you know, made the Mano Ferro uh, prediction. I will make one, a hard one here. Aaron Blanchfield's the future. Like it, She's like that kind of, I'll do the Brandon Moreno speech of, it might not be today, tomorrow, whenever, but she's going to have a belt one day, no matter what, I think. Uh, she is very complete... Uh, fighter, it feels like. Very good wrestling and grappling, and her striking in Invicta looked fantastic. Um, yeah, this is a bad matchup for Molly, but maybe Molly can show that, you know, yeah, it doesn't matter the level of competition. You know, like with last time as well, like Islam didn't have the highest level of competition. You know, look what happened.
0: So it could be a situation like that as well. And Erwin did struggle in the first round against J.J. Aldrich. So yeah. maybe that's something that Molly can exploit early on in the fight
1: slow starter you know potentially i think invicta i think i remember she would kind of be a little bit too patient early and then just kind of i think i remember that as well
0: any other fights on the prelims that take your interest
1: those were the three huge ones for me uh especially that aaron blanchfield molly mccann one that one is uh, i'm v- definitely excited to see that one because i i'm very high on the aaron blanchfield prospect
0: uh you know i always love my sort of sloppy unranked um strawweight <laughs> fights. Is there any potential in Carolina versus Silvana Juarez?
1: Uh I actually think Carolina's kind of fun sometimes. Um uh, I think she's almost boy material, or maybe different word for that. Uh, but uh yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> she's uh you know, she won her last fight against Felice Herrig. Uh I sadly don't remember that fight very well. When I was watching it, I was like, I know I watched this, but I hmm. But, um, you know, she's back. She, you know, teased retirement and came back and got the win over Felice Herrick. And uh, I think there could be some fun to be had there. You know, she's uh, very well-rounded. She beat the great Rose Namajunas back in the day, which is uh, always a feather in her cap. So she definitely has skill sets. You know, I, I think it could be a fun one. I know you love your fights like that, and I think that could be a pretty solid one.
0: I personally think if Carolina goes quite grappling heavy, she should win that one quite comfortably. I have a lot yeah. of question marks about Silvana's abilities on the ground, but Silvana is one of the few straw weights that can well and truly crack. Like you watched oh, that yeah. against Naliang, That is like a one-shot kill at 115, which you very seldom see. The
1: only time I've ever seen it like that kind of power is Jessica Andrade, who also Being put Carolina. out Carolina Yeah, and one of the more shocking... Uh, KOs ever. That was a that was a bad night to have casual MMA fans over. Uh, seeing that one kind of shocked them a little bit.
0: <laughs> and that was before Darren Till gave one of the worst performances in a UFC title fight.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I I lost money that night. So, uh, well, so what's the next fight?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, fight number one, we're going to the lightweight division. Now, this could be an interesting one as well. It is Dan Hooker, the number 12 seed, who is going to be taking on the unranked Claudio Puelas. Bookmaker's odds for this one, you can get Hooker at minus 155. Puelas comes in at plus 135. And I'm going to start this off by asking you, Joe, a question. Who the hell decided to have Dan Hooker go back down to featherweight? uh,
1: I would have made that call too, in fairness. I I think about this one a lot, and uh, I know everybody likes to you know kind of critique that move down i don't think i didn't think it was a bad idea at the time and i still don't think it's the worst it was a bad idea but not the worst idea in hindsight i just think arnold allen's that guy i just think they gave him a bad fight to come back down to welcome to the division here's the guy no one knows and that's gonna kill you because he's gonna kill most everybody that's just you know that's bad luck uh getting matched up with that one um yeah I, I but definitely you know cutting weight does hurt your durability, so that definitely could have played a factor in it. Um, but you know he was struggling at lightweight for a minute, you know he was having he was getting booked against the best and losing against the best and it's kind of difficult to you know uh, to have that motivation to stay in one place if you're well, I can't even beat the the top guys. How am I going to be the top guy?
0: That's what I think was the biggest factor in my opinion. I, I make jokes about it, but I think that Dan Hooker was maybe seeing a ceiling to his potential as a lightweight and thought, if I'm not finding the success at this point right now, maybe featherweight is a consideration. Because we are talking about a guy who unfortunately has lost four of his past five, but at the same time, his previous run as a lightweight, he'd won seven of his past eight. And the only guy to beat him was Edson Barboza, who we know is a killer at this weight class.
1: And look at like, who he lost to as well? Like he's four, or, uh, he's one in four in his last five. But it's to Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler, names we're going to talk about tonight, uh, as well as Islam Makhachev, and uh, there was or uh, there was one more missing. Oh, well, Arnold, Arnold Arnold Allen, of course. I was thinking from of another lightweight one, and it's like oh, those are all guys in the top three or four in their division.
0: Okay. Yeah, like, I mean, there's no shame in losing to any of those four, in my opinion. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So we'll talk about Dan Hooker in a little bit more detail here, a 21-12 and record. And we mentioned some of the guys who've beaten him recently. Let's talk about some of the people who he has beaten, because there's some really good names on here. Paul Felder, Ali Kinter, which was, I think, the co-main of the Melbourne show. Yeah, Uh, it was Izzy Whitaker. Yeah, James Vick, knocked out Gilbert Burns, and we've seen what Gilbert's been doing at Welterweight. And Jim Miller as well. So those are some really good names there. Ross Pearson with a fantastic highlight reel knockout, which I recommend a lot of people check out. 17 stoppages in his 21 wins, 10 of those coming by knockout. He's,
1: he was, or he, I still think he is awesome. I don't think he's washed, uh, but he is, uh, I love Dan Hooker. Big Dan Hooker fan. I, uh, I, I loved his Jim Miller, Ross Pearson knockouts, both with step in knees beautiful technical work in trying to time the Ross Pearson head movement and then using it to time a knee uh, with Jim Miller. He was looking for like, okay, he wants, he knows he wants to change levels. Here's another knee. It's fantastic. And the, uh, the Gilbert Burns one was one where I went, Hey, I'm going to take a watch on this guy. Uh, Cause I, I was like, Oh, Gilbert Burns, super hard hitter. And probably the best jujitsu guy in MMA. No one talks about, uh, I think he's going to beat hooker and no hooker knocked him out and you know, in, in, in hindsight, that's even more staggering when you go, oh man, Gore Burns is a, a welterweight, like a big welterweight too. Ugh.
0: What do you think are the characteristics that Dan Hooker is the sort of I wouldn't want to call them failings, but what are the elements of his game that you think a lot of these bigger name fighters are exploiting?
1: It's his defensive head movement, I think. Um it's I I went back and I watched the I watched all of his losses. Uh, the Islam one, he threw a low kick when he shouldn't need it. It happens, and honestly, Dan Hooker is Mister Low Low Kick. He was like the first guy I think I saw throwing the the calf kick uh, with vigor, and I was back at like at featherweight. I remember him doing that, uh, and uh, so it makes sense he did that. But in the Chandler fight, his head was very stationary, very easy to hit. Uh, in the Poye fight, both of them were very hittable in that fight. It, they fought in a phone booth. But uh, it was uh, he was again, he was hittable. And and it's Arnold Allen. Arnold Allen knew that head was was never going to move off center. And he just clobbered him with everything but the kitchen sink elbows, knees, a head kick. It was uh, punches. I I think it's his defensive move or head movement. I think it's a little lacking.
0: The big question is Is Claudio is going to be the type of man to try and exploit that? Let's focus a little bit on him because he is a bit unknown to a large portion of the casual fan base. Uh, he comes into the fight on a five fight winning streak. His last victory came against Clay Guida on the uh, Lemos versus Andrage fight night, as well as Gleeder. Guida, Guida, I should say, he has wins over Chris Grootsmacher, Jordan Levitt, he was the first person to beat Jordan Levitt, and also Felipe Silva, which I recommend that people fire up Fight Pass and watch this match because we always talk about great UFC comebacks. You always think about, like, Czech Congo versus Pat Barry, uh, Tim Boach versus Akami. Nobody ever talks about this fight. Like, he is getting pieced up on the feet. I think he gets dropped about, like, three times in the final yeah. round. The ref gives him a bit of leeway, lets the fight continue, and then he wraps up a leg and submits him.
1: It's insane. <laughs> it's, his his uh his leg locks are terrifying, and uh, they make me hurt just looking at. Him. Um, I'm actually pretty high on Claudio Puelles personally. I uh, I like his striking. I've uh, I've got to watch him uh, on the on the recaps this week or this year a lot, uh, and especially that Guido one. I like his striking. I like his. Uh, it's not the best. It's not like this high power. You know he's gonna. You know he's a killer. Justin Gaethje or Charles Oliveira. S. Barbosa type. Yeah, he isn't like that. Um, but it's very clean, precise, and you know, technical. It he, he gets the job done, I, I guess to be the best way to say. But on the ground, he is terrifying. He'll shoot like a low single, and if he doesn't get it, uh, or sometimes he'll even just shoot a double, and if he doesn't get it, he's pulling guard, and he's trying to wrap up a leg. He's like a not-evil version of Husamar Palharas down there i was, go- I was gonna
0: actually make that comparison as well because yeah we're seeing a lot of jujitsu practitioners using leg locks a lot more like it's one of gordon ryan's big forties this day yeah. and age but we're not seeing that translated to mma all that often like paul it's, harris cause it's too was, committal yeah paul harris was probably the last sort of leg lock specialist up until Puellas came along
1: mm-hmm. it's hard to be a leg lock specialist in mma because it, it takes so much commitment. When I I liked leg locks when I grappled, so I was that evil person no one wanted to grapple with. But I, I love leg locks, um, and uh, yeah, the, it's just such a commitment. If you mess up in grappling, it's just oh he's gonna you know get half guard or mount, which is very bad. But in MMA, if he gets out, I'm defenseless and I'm taking uh, a haymaker or a bomb from a guy on top of me, and so it's very it's a very high risk a dangerously high reward maneuver. And I kind of like these guys who are becoming these leg lock specialists. I I like Gordon Ryan, his grappling game at least. And, uh, if, if Paul Harris wasn't evil, uh, you know, I'd be a fantastic, I'd be a big fan of his if he wasn't an evil, (laughs) evil in the, in a fight at least. Um, but Claudio Pouillez has kind of hit that middle ground for me where I really enjoy his leg locks, his knee bar, uh, makes me want to walk it off just watching it. And, uh, I'm very, very excited to see. I'm I'm curious how the grappling is going to work out because Hooker has been submitted before, just once, from by my knowledge, by my memory, uh, and it was against the current champ at lightweight, uh, Islam Makhachev. But mm, I I wonder if this is that guy. Like, is it is this that is, I I wonder if he's almost like a the Shavkat of lightweight in a sense because he's just been no one talks about him and he's been finishing, and he's been quietly building up a little bit of a streak and doing very well, and just doesn't have a lot of hype on him. And I I wonder if he's that secret killer right now.
0: I definitely get the impression that the UFC are sort of putting the wheels in motion to maybe get the hype behind him. Because, I mean, MSG main card against a guy like Dan Hooker, who has a little bit of name amongst the fan base, the UFC could definitely do something with Puelas if he was to beat a guy like Dan Hooker. Absolutely. I, I I
1: I was actually wondering that too. I'm glad you brought that up, because I, I didn't put as much thought into it. It's got it's definitely an interesting idea there, because I was wondering if is Dan Hooker a company man and
0: I just don't remember. But I'd probably hmm. say so. I mean he took the share fight on quite short notice. I think yeah. I think Islam was supposed to fight, I'm tempted to say Benny. And then I think Benny it was dropped Benny. out. And, no yeah. RDA. RDA. Oh yeah it was already yeah and then uh, he dropped out and then Hooker stepped in on short notice so i, I could like maybe 10 say days it. or
1: so yeah like 10, 10 8 days or something like that yeah so he, yeah, he must be a company guy but at the same time i do think that's an interesting flip side of that is oh we're going to help out the company guy but we're also going to maybe we can get some hype around this young young gun killer right now because i think the guy's younger than me i think he's only like 26 25
0: 26.
1: yeah so yeah he's a young young guy uh i'm aging myself uh oh but uh <laughs> um yeah i th- you know i i could see them kind of you know wanting to put some stock into them, maybe get some hype around them because uh they've they need to build new stars sadly and uh maybe they're finally learning
0: and i probably say as well a lot of the sort of central and south american countries that are brazil to find a star from that region would certainly help them out because i know they put a lot of time into pons because of his Argentinian background, wanted to try and exploit that market. Unfortunately, Ponzi had his injuries, never really sort of fulfilled his potential. But Puelles, being from Peru, that's a market for the UFC to try and exploit.
1: I think so too. Like, because Ponzi Nibio for sure they put that they put the money in. Sadly, like you know, you you, you said it perfectly. Just injuries, but Puelles could. I, I like that. You know. I think I think, that could definitely see them doing that.
0: I think for me, this fight, I think a lot of people are trying to simplify this as striker versus grappler. I think there's a bit more intricacies to that. Firstly, I think mm-hmm. that Dan Hooker's uh, sort of active wrestling, his wrestling offense is pretty solid. We saw that when he fought Nasrat, where he yeah. just pretty much dominated that fight on the ground. I think Puelas has solid stand-up. I think especially at distance, he can throw some really powerful kicks. His issue is when he's in that boxing range. Yeah. And I have this fear that Dan Hooker could start teeing off on him if he's in that boxing range.
1: He's a little herky-jerky in the boxing, uh, for sure. And uh, Dan Hooker, I, I think I like, I I almost picture if, if a Dan Hooker is going to get a win, I, I could see him stepping in with like a, a, a straight right into like a stance-switched elbow or uh, a left hook and that for some reason just keeps popping up in my mind. That scenario, I, I could definitely see Dan Hooker because he's very tricky on the feet. You know, despite the fact that his head is standing still, uh, he's very tricky with his uh, where his offense is coming from. You know, he one of the one of the best defensive guys in the division uh, was a little puzzled by him early on in Dustin Poirier. So uh, I could definitely see it, but I, hmm, definitely a hard one to pick. I think.
0: It's a very hard one to pick, and you can see that with the uh, bookmaker's odds there. Minus 155 for Dan Hooker. Uh, If I was to make my pick, I'm going to lean towards Dan Hooker, and I'm going to lean towards Dan Hooker in maybe the second round. I think Puelas has a lot of upside, especially in the grappling, but I think the limitations in the stand-up are going to be something that Dan Hooker's going to exploit. So I'm picking Dan Hooker to win this one. With that being said... I think a win for Claudio Puelles could be a sign to say, "Hey, UFC, UFC fans, take note of this guy. He's got a lot of upside."
1: Absolutely, I, I'm leaning towards Poyez. Uh I, I, as a fan, I, I want—I don't want Hooker to have another loss. I'm, I like Hooker, but I do think Puelles is probably going to try and get like a low single. And if he still—if Hooker can't escape any grips, uh, I think uh, you could see a leg get snatched up is a a fear i have
0: that's a fear i would have if i was a dan hooker fan as well
1: yeah i'm afraid of a leg getting snatched up because it doesn't take much to uh to you know get a tap from a leg lock Uh, that's so much pain just instantly and it's uh yeah no that's probably it's a pretty quick tap
0: right number two we are going to the bantamweight division and we're going to be saying goodbye to a UFC legend. Frankie Edgar has already announced that this will be his final fight in the sport. He's a 12th-ranked bantamweight right now. He's taking on the unranked Chris Gutierrez. It's Gutierrez, however, who is the bookmaker's favourite. You can get him at minus 205. Frankie Edgar comes in at plus 175. Now, before we talk about this fight in detail, we need to talk about Frankie Edgar. Because in my opinion, if you look at some of the guys who helped make the ufc lightweight division because he was a 155 er a lot of people forget that and helped turn it into one of the strongest weight classes in the ufc frankie edgar is a big factor in that he's uh gonna get a lot of hate for this one but he's my personal pick for
1: the best lightweight ever actually frankie edgar uh
0: i think it's the most competitive because a lot of divisions, is like a clear-cut number one over who the greatest of that weight class is. I mm-hmm. think lightweight has a lot of contenders because obviously you've got be with the 29-0. You've got BJ Penn and all of his exploits both in lightweight but in other weight classes. Frankie Edgar, who surpassed all expectations to get to the belt and then held to it for a long time. It's yeah, very then there's like Tony
1: Ferguson. You can get it. You can, I think there's the argument for him. I think there's an argument for Charles Oliveira. It's, uh, that's, that's, the, that's the most stacked one and hardest one to narrow down. Uh, Frankie is mine because I don't think he ever lost the belt.
0: You can make that argument because the uh, two Benson fights, a lot of people believe went his way. The first one, I can understand the decision. Second one, n-
1: not a chance. Uh, that's, a, that's a Frankie one for me.
0: I'm going to run through Frankie Edgar's notable victories in the UFC. So this is going to be quite long-winded and I do apologise if I go on a bit, but it's a testimony to how prolific the guy has been over the years. Pedro Munoz, two wins over Cub Swanson, Yair Rodriguez, Jeremy Stevens, Chad Mendes, Uriah Faber, three wins over BJ Penn, Charles Oliveira, Graham Maynard, Sean Shirk, Hermes Franca, Jim Miller and Spencer Fisher.
1: Tyson Griffin, as well, he was another one of those killers back at lightweight back in the day. just a a who's who uh, of it. You're right a favorite one I forgot actually, but yeah
0: we are however talking about a guy who, for all of his credentials for all of the achievements he's had, it is a guy who has lost five in his past seven, four of those coming by stoppage at 38, thirty nine years old. Do you think that has it become sad watching Frankie in these recent years? Is he timing his retirement right? I think I would have liked to have seen it after the
1: last fight, uh, but that's just me. I don't like. It's really hard for me to watch these guys I looked up to in these like great fighters, um, like like Frankie Edgar, Chris Weidman, uh, Luke Rockhold, a couple of guys continue and just losing and getting stopped. I. It's very hard and hard because. Uh, Let's make no mistake. They're not getting paid enough to do this in the first place. And now they're hurting themselves going through it. So it's always uh, a little hard. I would have liked it after the Cheeto Vera fight. But for some reason, if Frankie pulls this off, what a spectacular storybook ending for him.
0: And I will say well done to the UFC for giving Frankie Edgar's last fight the main card showcase because you don't usually see that all that often. I think we've talked about this before. I think the UFC have a really dismissive attitude at times towards outgoing legends. So they are sort of proving me wrong to an extent by giving a guy like Frankie, and he has been a big company man for a long time, giving him the opportunity to say goodbye on Mm pay-per-view.
1: And potentially the biggest card of the year.
0: Do you think the UFC have made the right call, though, in putting him against Chris Gutierrez? Because there's a lot of people that thought you could have done done him versus Dominic Cruz, legend versus legend. Some people argued for sort Of an entertaining veteran in a la sort of maybe a Davy Grant type, but they've gone with Coutierres, 18 and four record. He's unbeaten in his past seven and a little bit of hype building around him as well.
1: He's scary, uh, he's he's a little scary. I I saw the name and it's funny, I actually got mixed up with Chris Gutzmacher and I went, Oh, Frankie's just going up back up to lightweight, I guess. And until I did, uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago when I really looked at everything. Um, and I went, oh, no, this guy's actually kind of scary. Um, I, I don't know how I feel about this matchmaking. Uh, I'm just, I, I'm with you. I, I'm happy it's on the main card. But I think I'd rather would have taken the dominant Cruise
0: one. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I, I personally believe that aging fighters should be put against other aging fighters. I know everybody always makes a mockery of Bellator for their old guy fights around sort of like the early Scott Coker either. But yeah. that to me is the best way to use your aging fighters to put them against one another rather than what the UFC normally do where mm. you sort of put them against the upcoming rising prospect and try and use their name value to boost the next star.
1: Absolutely. I, I agree
0: with the matchmaking of, the, uh, of their old guy
1: fights. Uh, I-, I just disagree with the promotion of their old guy yes. fights. Well, you know, uh, with their main eventing, over these these guys fighting for uh, for the two o five belt. Okay, uh, all right. Like or hey, there. This freak show fight is main is the main event. Uh, okay, over actual prospects and talents we want to showcase for the future. Uh, but the matchmaking in terms of that is uh, I, I do like uh, vets fighting vets.
0: Like you know? wasn't it on the? I'm sure Michael Chandler fought. I think it might have been Derek Campos. He fought him on the undercard of kimball versus um kimball dada. versus dada and yeah. hoist versus k
1: yeah uh in one of the most awkward fight cards i stayed up for <laughs> uh man that uh that's oof, that was a rough card yeah. um but at least shamrock did make it better by him sounding like a five-year-old and going he did it on purpose <laughs> uh that's my, that's one of my favorite lines in mma he did it on purpose
0: um, let's get but yet, in, let's get into this fight in a bit more detail lord you mentioned that you thought chris gutierrez was one of the scariest fighters in this weight class what is it in particular that frightens you so much
1: uh i'm a big fan of i've, I've talked i feel like i feel like every preview show i always bring up this technique and i love talking about it but that is a terrifying low low kick he has and uh I, Bantamweight is my favorite division. I, I'm very open about it. I think it's the best currently. I think he's secretly like in that top 10 of the scarier guys there. Um, and for Frankie, that is a pretty rough matchup because in his historically speaking, he's always struggled with the low, low kick. Mm. Uh, Benson Henderson knocked him down with it many times. Um, Aldo gave him a lot of troubles in both their fights uh, with the low kick. Um, and there's someone else too, I can't remember, who knocked him off his feet with it. Uh, I'm, he's fought. Frankie's fought everybody. Someone probably knocked him else off the off his feet with a low kick. But um, I, and Gutierrez actually has a finish in the UFC with low kicks. Uh, his last one was a spinning back fist. So very explosive, very quick, and he clearly does have that power. Um, and I don't know if that is what you want to put your aging veteran with durability issues as he grows older
0: uh, in a fight. And it's also a big issue for Frankie as well, because a lot of his success, especially in the prime of his career, was built around lateral movement. So Mm -hmm. if you have a guy who's taking that away with leg kicks, you're incredibly vulnerable. And especially for Frankie Edgar now, who is 38 years old and maybe starting to show, I wouldn't call him chinny, it's it's just a durability issue. It's getting old. Yeah, Yeah, it happens. We're seeing a lot more people finishing Frankie, which... Uh, let's say back in 2013, 2014, people weren't doing.
1: Yeah. You had to hit him with a sledgehammer. And even then he might come back and take the next round off you, you know,
0: well, uh, it, did that he hit him with, with about three or four.
1: Yeah. And then in the second round, he put his nose sideways with a flying knee in the third fight. I should say, uh, with a flying knee and it, you no, know, okay. And he got finished. It, it, he had that, he had that heart as everybody says that like innate toughness and mental fortitude. Um, and uh, it, you get older, and that doesn't work out for you when you get older. It's just you can't – everyone has a fixed number of shots they can take before their chin – uh their, their durability just decreases. He's taken a lot. It happens. It's just the nature of the game. Um, and uh, this is a, a rough one, um, especially momentum. I think momentum is very big and very good. As you said, it's a seven fight. My notes say six, so I think you're probably
0: more accurate. Um, for Gutierrez, seven unbeaten streak? Seven unbeaten streak, because I think there was a draw in there somewhere. Cody That's
1: That must be where my notes were mixed up on. Uh, And, uh, yeah, no, that momentum is huge, I think. Uh, I think when you're building that momentum, um, you can make, and I'm not calling Gutierrez this by any stretch, but uh, a hypothetical B-level fighter can seem like an A-level fighter and take on A-level competition and win just because of momentum. Momentum is huge. And I think but with his momentum uh, and with Cody Stamon draw, if I remember right, he was able to kind of hold off the wrestling in that fight, which is uh, a Frankie Edgar path to victory for him. That's a, you know, it's definitely a little scary one for Frankie going into this one.
0: Yeah. Um, in terms of all their attributes of Chris Gutierrez, which I personally like, uh, you mentioned the law kicks, which I think it's by a long way his strongest weapon. He does have a habit of getting a little bit flamboyant. He can throw the spinning stuff at times. We saw him finish um, Dinah batgorel with a uh, spinning elbow, which was brutal, by the way. At the same time, though, he can get a little bit too carried away with the spinning stuff. Uh, at, actually, in the dinar fight at the end of the first round, I think he goes for a, I think a spinning back fist. Uh, Dinah counters it and lands some pretty good ground and pound near the end of the round. So he can get a little bit careless, a little bit reckless, which, and Frankie is obviously to he come. He's going to try and capitalize on any of these sort of mistakes and sort of recklessness that his opponent brings to the table. Um, mm. We know that Frankie's always had great lateral movement, which we mentioned before, or one of his forties. If there has been one change in Frankie that we've seen recently, though, he is willing to sit down on his shots a little bit more than he maybe would have done back in, say, 2010, 2011. We saw that against Chad Mendes, knocked him out one punch.
1: Oh, clean. Uh, The cleanest one, I think he's been knocked out besides besides that big aldo knee. Um, I I wonder if, like, I used to think a lot of it was because he was dropping down and his power was just translating better at the lower weight classes. But no, if you, like, watch, he he is sitting down. He's throwing more into it. He's willing to kind of, you know, commit more to his shots for sure. Uh, I mean, I... uh, Hmm... This is another weird one to pick, I think. (laughs)
0: Um, And I think as well, one of the reasons why Frankie sitting on his punches a bit more is a good thing too, is he does have a tendency, his style, to get a little bit predictable. You know he's going to move from side to side and then shoot for a takedown and then go up a little bit, try and mix the striking with the wrestling. But as we saw with Cheeto Viva... When you know what your opponent's going to do, because he followed the same game plan throughout that entire fight, Cheeto started reading it and then did what Cheeto Viva does at the end of the fight. Yeah, he KOs everybody. Uh, Slow starter and then KOs a legend. It's the Cheeto Viva way for like the past five or six fights. Or he'll beat you uh, outright and you can just deny he ever did. (laughs) It's worked out for some people. you know. It does work out for some people. Not naming names.
1: Yeah, Dominic Cruz should have done it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> or you could blame Keith Peterson for it. Oh, man. Old, old I Keith-y. love that, that, that storyline. That sort of mini feud between Dominic Cruz and Keith Peterson is one of my favorite recurring stories in MMA right now.
1: I I, uh, I love that fake Twitter account for it. Because <laughs> uh, uh, I think it was the Casey Kinney fight where he goes, I- I'm refing that fight. I don't care. And uh, Dominic Cruz better say the alphabet backwards and walk on a straight line or I'm calling the fight right then and there. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I – yeah, that is an interesting thing because, like, Frankie, his big strength back in, at lightweight was he was very unpredictable. BJ Penn didn't know when a takedown was coming because he would often kind of come in with his boxing combinations. It would be like a high punch or maybe a straight right to the body, and then he'd kind of work up up and down, you know, just changing levels constantly. And you never knew when that takedown was coming and you have to also defend his, his boxing. Um, but now everyone kind of kind of knows and they, they kind of know when to do it. And funny enough, uh, in stopping a level change for a, a takedown or a, a shot to the body, the same weapons work in that same, against both. Throwing a knee, throwing an uppercut, Uh, You know, Corey Sanhagen and Brian Ortega—they found out very well. Both those weapons work out very well against uh, against that style.
0: Yeah, shots up the middle.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially coming up because it's like a car crash, you know. Uh, And it's a kind of a grim uh, analogy to use, but it's uh, if you're if a car hits a wall, you know, we, we can see the force it is. But at the same speed, and it's another car going the exact same speed, and they hit together, it's so much more. So. When Frankie's ducking, running into a knee or a punch, the force and trauma there is so much more. And uh, that's, that's why those shots up the middle are so dangerous for Frankie.
0: I would love to sit here and say that Frankie Edgar is going to ride into the sunset with that final victory. But I think you've got a guy in Gutierrez who has a lot of momentum and I think has a style that's going to exploit a lot of the weaknesses in 2022 Frankie Edgar's game. So I am going to pick Chris Gutierrez to win this one. I'm going to say second round TKO. I've, I've gone back
1: and forth on this one in my head all week. And, um, I really want Frankie to walk out that last sunset, you know, one of my favorite fighters of all time. Uh, a lot of great memories he's given me as a fan, you know, uh, getting, getting, uh, him winning the belt spoiled for me is still one of my unironically favorite memories. Um, but I, I am picking Gutierrez. I, I, think, I think momentum is key, and I think low kicks are key. But I do think Frankie can abuse those spins to get in on the hips and make this a grindy and just almost like the Yair Rodriguez fight.
0: The one thing I, I hope more than anything, win or lose, I don't want it to be sad watching Frankie Edgar fight. I want mm-hmm. to see a good performance. I want to see little flashes of the old Frankie in there, that yeah. sort of that little twinkle in the eye that they always talk about in sport. I don't oh, want yeah. I don't want something like like Chuck versus Tito Free, where it was clear this guy was shot.
1: If I had to describe Frankie Edgar's career in one word, the word I would do is inspiring. I think he's a very inspiring figure if you look at his size at 155 and how much success he had and especially how he won those fights just going through real life rocky you know um and uh i i want to be inspired i want to see him walk off in the distance and do that again you yeah, want i want, I want that disney F- oh first you... ballot hall of famer next year i hope so you can put him in there four or five times over honestly like that guy's <laughs> like got
0: frankie february frankie Bantamweight, and
1: then what? Don't they have a division or a hall, even though it's not a physical place, for all just these great fights? It's like you can do second and third Gray Maynard. You can do uh, two of my favorite fights, uh, the Aldo fights. You can do like just so many in there. That guy is just what a what a career.
0: I love that wing, you know, because you have sort of like these sort of B tier fighters who maybe wouldn't be hall of famers themselves, but they get to be called that because of the wing. So like you got like click like click weeders in there. Steph yes, Bonner. Personal.
1: It's great. Uh, and it, it's uh, I'm uh, I've been looking for uh, a banger of a Kenny Florian fight to to argue that one should be in there because I I think he deserves it.
0: <laughs> These two could potentially be future hall of famers as well. I think one has already booked his place in once he retires, and this is the fight which a lot of people. Ariel Helwani likes to always talk about the people's main event I think it's a given it's going to be this one number 2 seed Dustin Poirier is going to be taking on the number 5 seed Michael Chandler betting odds for this one you can get Dustin Poirier at minus 175 Michael Chandler comes in at plus 150 a lot of people have wanted this fight for a long long time they're finally getting it
1: what a banger of a fight this is uh Honestly, it's kind of hard to put... Michael Chandler has done a very good job of making himself uh, indispensable at lightweight. You know, he's not... Doesn't have the flashiest, prettiest record at lightweight. But man, every time he shows up, we already... We just get excited. And the matchmaking has helped him out with uh, giving him another great one
0: here. And he's also done a good job as well winning over A lot of the sort of UFC diehards. Because... Michael Chandler is to a lot of people Mr. Bellator. He, he had pretty much his entire career in that other promotion. So when he signed for the UFC, there was still the stigma about the outsider, the enemy, as it were, coming to our terrain. I know a lot of people who rooted against him against uh, Charles Oliveira because they didn't want the Bellator guy being UFC champion. But his performances, I think, he talks a fantastic fight as well has won over a lot of people. And I think that sort of stigma that maybe some people had to him has been erased.
1: Yeah, like the level of like, uh, of unwarranted hate I thought he got when he got signed was weird to me. Like you would have thought he walked in, you know, to bow, 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 and like, you know, <laughs> NWO all of a sudden, you know, he, uh, he convinced Hulk Hogan to turn heel. Like you would expect it like that from like this weird, like, oh, that's this is our place, not you, and get out. It was so weird. Um, and he is Mr. Bellator to me. When I think of Bellator, I think of Michael Chandler. And, um, I'm so happy he's in the UFC. He's he's just been a delight of, of entertainment and he is a great talker, which helps. But his he's he's not just flash and image, he's he's got game, he's very, very good.
0: Uh, Let's talk about Michael Chandler in a bit more detail here. 23-7 record. He's coming into this fight off the highlight reel finish of Tony Ferguson, UFC 274. Which I do know upset a lot of people because Tony looked really good in that first round. He sort of had this inkling, yeah, maybe the old Tony is finally back. Unfortunately, second round played out the way it did. As well as Tony Ferguson, we've got wins over Dan Hooker in his UFC debut. Two wins over Benson Henderson. And some uh, Bellator names, which might not be familiar to uh, the casual fans, but hardcore fans, Sydney Outlaw, Brent Primus, Patricky Bitbull, uh, two wins over him, as well as Eddie Alvarez, which was a very early Bellator card. And the fight, which for a lot of people was the one that introduced Michael Chandler to the masses, because that is a fantastic match.
1: If no one's watched that and you're listening to this, trust us. Go watch that. It is. Uh... It's That's a top five lightweight fight ever, and I'm willing to put my name on that. A lot of uh, people
0: consider it Bellator's greatest ever fight. Easily, in my mind, easily. I think the only one I can think of that matches it is probably that
1: Dada 5000. No, um, it's... <laughs> <laughs> I, I would actually think uh, Horiguchi and Sergio Pettis, even though the guy I didn't want to win uh, won, I think that fight, I think it was earlier this year, or maybe last year, the Sergio Pettis-Horiguchi uh, fight is... Uh, a masterpiece as well, I think.
0: Yeah. Uh, Bellator fights for me to check out. Uh, Amazov versus Logan Storley. Oh,
1: fantastic one. Uh, anything with Rick Hahn, I think his name was back in the day, and Douglas Lima, uh, back when they were uh, trying to make a name and who's going to lose to Benson, or not Benson, uh, Ben Askren next. Uh, that light, that welterweight era
0: was really fun. So there you go, Josh Thompson. The MMA media does talk about Bellator.
1: And I'm the biggest MMA media guy there is, you know, Luke, Luke Thomas Who? Like I can speak Spanish too, you know? That's Luke. What's Luke got that I don't have? Oh, good looks and charm and intelligence.
0: You know? <laughs> so we've talked about Michael Chandler in terms of what he's achieved in his career. How has he achieved and what would you say are the biggest strengths that make Michael Chandler the fighter that he is? Uh, he is
1: the prototypical wrestler or super athletic wrestler with unbelievable power in my mind. Like when I think of that archetype, which is a very popular archetype among fighters, you know, uh, Dan Henderson could fall into that
0: Chad kind Mendes. of
1: stylist. Chad Mendez is one of the biggest ones. Actually. I'm glad you said that. I uh, didn't even think of it. That's one of the classic ones. Uh, I think Michael Chandler is probably the pinnacle of that style. Um, I think uh, I, when you look at his, just look at his fight with uh, Dan Hooker. If you're only knowing his UFC fights, the Dan Hooker fight He was faking level changes over and over, constant pressure, constant pressure. And then he ducks, hands drop. Here comes a left hook over the top. And that's all it took, really. You know, the follow-up shots were there, but the fight was over once the left hook landed. And um, he is, but it's not just power for him. He is incredibly fast. I think Justin Gaethje has a deceptively quick punch. Uh, Even though his footwork isn't as fast, Uh, He is a very quick punch. Chandler was beating him to the punch in that first round. Uh, Sometimes throwing second and landing first. Very quick. Lightning fast. Underrated kicking game, I think, in an underrated submission game. Mostly when he's on top. Off his back, he's still a wrestler. They kind of have that turtle kind of mindset when they're on their back. They kind of panic and they struggle. It's usually them just trying to get up. Um, Very hard to put him on his back, but uh, on top you know he he could definitely just grind out wins but he he is kind of fallen in love with his hands and I don't blame him he has that power uh he he had Charles Oliveira very very worried and I thought the ref could have stopped it personally
0: I personally consider him the best round 1 fighter in that weight class he is so aggressive to start off with
1: That's an accurate title I actually really like that yeah <laughs>
0: Um, And you sort of touched on something as well, like for all of these positives that Michael Chandler has, I think if there is one of the drawbacks or Michael Chandler made a comment when he signed for the UFC that he wasn't here for a long time. He was here for a good time. And I feel like his biggest onus has been trying to put on entertaining fights, make them stand up brawls when it could maybe make more sense to stick to a more game plan orientated style. Because I brought this up with the Tony Ferguson fight where we saw some of the issues that Tony had fighting Charles Oliveira and Benil, who just out wrestled him to 30 27. Chandler yeah. could have very easily done the same thing, but instead he wanted to stand and brawl and very nearly caused himself some problems because Tony had a good first round in that fight. Knocked him down. Yeah. Tony knocked him down.
1: Yeah. And uh, yeah. dropping stuff. But uh,
0: yeah, Tony knocked him
1: down and uh, it made him a panic wrestler, which is always kind of funny like and then even then on top he was so still stunned he was eating elbows from the bottom from tony the tony ferguson classic but uh and uh but yeah it, he had a little bit of trouble in that first round and uh then he came out and threw the weirdest up kick like front kick ever it's like he punted him in uh in, like american football or just a field
0: goal and chanting chandler, chandler for me was never known for like high kicks as well that's what caught me by surprise.
1: Yeah, I I think when I think of a Chandler kick, I think of him. He was uh, attacking the body constantly with a body shot, with a, a roundhouse to the body against Benson Henderson. I think in their might have been their second fight or the first one. I don't remember, but that's the kick I think of, uh, and I think that's the only time I remember him actively kicking uh, was against Benson Henderson. Uh, maybe I think he threw a little bit against uh, Eddie Alvarez, but um, yeah, no, it was. Um, Definitely not known for his kicking game. Under underrated kicking game because obviously the Tony Ferguson, but I thought the Benson Henderson kicks were very good. When I um, think of
0: Chum the kicks, I think of the one he threw against P- Primus, which did his uh, foot in.
1: Oh God, uh, that was it. Um, who was it that he did that to? It was um, Primus? Yeah, Brent Prime. Yeah, uh, that. Oh, oh, that was uh, that was rough.
0: Nearly I mean, I'm not one to forget that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That'd make me not want to ever kick again. (laughs) So uh, I I understand it. But obviously the weapon everyone knows is the big right hand.
0: We focused on uh, Michael Chandler quite extensively. Let's focus about his opponent, Dustin Poirier. Now this is his first fight since losing to Charles Oliveira at UFC 269. Uh, Unfortunately, that result didn't go Poirier's way. But here's some which did. Conor McGregor, twice. Dan Hooker, Max Holloway, twice. Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gagey, Anthony Pettis, Jim Miller, Bobby Green, Diego Brandao, and Yancy Medeiros. Again, we mentioned this before with Frankie Edgar, what a portfolio. This guy's
1: first ballot all, Hall of Famer as well. We, we talked about, we mentioned it earlier, how lightweight is just stacked of all these GOAT potentials at lightweight. How is, we, we, I don't think either one of us brought up Poirier, and he could definitely be it. I think if he gets the undisputed strap... I, I'd be heart-pressed. I would be hard pressed i would not argue against someone saying that for him.
0: Um, and I think the big sort of evolution that we've seen from Dustin Poirier is a lot of people forget this, but Dustin started out his career in the UFC as primarily a grappling specialist. He was looking to try and get people down and then use his the submission game. And yet he's evolved into arguably one of the best boxers in this weight class.
1: Oh yeah, I remember his debut. I, he came in, against josh grisby because aldo got hurt on the the funny enough the frankie edgar um gray manor 2 card uh, i think it was 125
0: i want to think uh edgar Maynard 2 was 125 yeah
1: yeah so it was because it was a new year's day that's so no one bought it <laughs> i think so no one bought it i had to like refreshing mma junkie uh on the main card constantly for like their live uh play-by-plays but um so, uh, I was a broke high school student, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, it was, uh, he came out threw a push kick and sent Grisby across the ring, knocked him down, but no, he was mostly kind of grappling in that fight. And, uh, obviously he fought, um, I, who did he, yeah, obviously the, the Max Holloway one was like one of the crazier submissions I had seen. And was it Cub Swanson? He darst choked?
0: I think it might have been, yeah.
1: Yeah, he. I remember him just tapping everybody out. He would hurt you with his punches because he had that innate brawly power. But no, he was a grappler, and now he is probably my pick for. I wouldn't say number one. Uh, you know, that was a big point of debate about two years ago of who's the best boxer in the UFC, baby. And uh, I think Poirier has the argument there, but I, I would put him at least top three, top four. Uh, but his defensive boxing, he has yes. a very good Philly. His Philly shell, if anyone's a big boxing fan, they'll know about the Philly shell defense. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, the Max Holloway two fights, probably my uh, my top three favorite Poirier fights. Uh, and he goes to his corner and he literally tells him, I don't know what to do. He's blocking weird. And it just stuns Max Holloway for a little bit, that fight.
0: Yeah, I think he's probably one of the best fighters up against the fence. And I think that that's going to make it interesting with Michael Chandler because you know that Chandler is going to be wanting to push forward all the time to sort of try and get him there and tee off. But we know mm-hmm. how good Dustin's defense can be up against the fence. Like uh, the second Connor fight, 257, Connor mm-hmm. was in a very similar position. He was the one moving forward and he hardly... I mean, he, he won the first round, but come the second round, once a few of those low kicks started affecting Connor's movement, Connor could hardly touch him up against the fence.
1: It was uh, – yeah, he just kind of started piecing him up. Once the movement slowed down and he could he could kind of – like if the pace is very quick and it's not brawly. Like obviously in the Gaethje fight he was doing well and Gaethje was as well too. But it was very much a brawl back and forth, high pace against – like same with the Dan Hooker fight. He's okay with that. But if you're trying to keep up the pace and not have these prolonged exchanges, you want kind of quick dart shots in and out like a Connor. Uh, he, he wants to kind of slow the tempo down to his speed. And then from there, it seems like he just kind of takes over. Um, and I definitely, I think he's probably one of the best masters at controlling the tempo of a fight. He seems very good at knowing when to slow it down, knowing when to turn it up in his favor. Uh, you know, the Eddie Alvarez fights, I think was a big example of like, okay, we're going to just go, we're going to, we're going to fight. We're going to do this. Okay, now I'm turning it up.
0: And he's very and good at smelling the blood as well. Once he knows sh- that he's got a guy compromised, then he'll jump in because we go back to that Conor fight. I think he throws like this left hook that just gets Conor a little bit off balance and then mm-hmm, sort of switches positions, Conor's up against the fence, and that's when he starts teeing off.
1: Yeah, and he, he pointed at him. As soon as he landed, he pointed at him. He goes, I got you. I win. It was like, it was like the Babe Ruth calling your shot home run because he pointed at him and was like all right my turn and then instantly just you know changes positions cuts the cage off and he puts him out cold with that lead right hook
0: i'd love to uh, follow up on the bear brew reference there but i'll try and find some cricketer that did something similar like ian Botham might have done it somewhere <laughs> there's a lot of
1: a lot a lot of sports we can both toss around to uh to confuse the other one the difference is uh the differences in culture.
0: One thing I'm interested TV about, here. though, is... I'm watching a lot of interviews going into this fight. And maybe this just sort on like a sixth sense, an instinctive thing for my part. Michael Chandler seems a lot more fired up, a lot more motivated for this one than Dustin Poirier. And we did see... We've heard interviews in the past about Dustin maybe saying, I'm not sure how long I'm going to be doing this for. Chandler doesn't seem to have that. I know Michael Chandler is the older fighter, but he still seems like he's got a lot of fire there. Dustin Poirier is coming back for the first time in 11 months. Is this maybe he's something... Are we going to see Dustin Poirier maybe going through the motions a little bit compared to Michael Chandler. Could that be a factor?
1: I think it could be. I think... I've never been in a position like that, so I can only speculate. Uh, I don't want to put... uh... Words in his mouth or thoughts in his head, but I know if I had gotten as close mm. to that top of that mountaintop like he has, and I mean, that Habib fight, you know, uh, I think he had probably the quote, my one of my favorite MMA quotes of all time in the, after the Habib fight. They asked him if, what would you do different uh, against fighting him? And he said, I'm going to bring a pistol next time I have <laughs> to fight Habib. I I mean, that's a that's a great case for if you're a a Habib goat, you know, campaigner. But um, that's a I think that there's something like as funny as that quote is, I think there's something really disheartening about that quote. If you're a Poye fan, because it's almost that realization like I I I don't think me, the person can take that. And
0: I think think the Khabib one was maybe a little bit more forgivable because it was the first time and we've all seen what Khabib's been able to do. The, Dust, mm. the Charles one, I should say, is the one that I think maybe sticks with him a bit because that was a fight which, no offense to Charles Oliveira, who proved a lot of people wrong, a lot of people expected Dustin Poirier to just run through him, and he dropped him in the first round. He was very close to winning that belt, and then to lose it after that, that's yeah. the sickener for me. Yeah, Charles, I, th- I thought he 10 hated him. I thought he 10 hated him that first round,
1: and I went, wow – Poye still is uncrowned king. Poyer, Dustin Poirier here. Just wow. Uh, uh, Charles Oliveira made me look real stupid then, but um, I, that has to that has to hurt. Like that to get that close and you know have that just snatched away from you. You know, I, I mean, I've I've been in competition and never on that kind of level of stakes, and it hurts when you lose in any level. But that that that's got to be a whole other you know, mental pain altogether. So I, I, I kind of understand where he's coming from and his mindset here. I, I, I could see this either reigniting that fire if things go well for him, or I could see it kind of showing him, okay, you know, kind of kind of having a sobering moment, you could say, if, uh, if things don't go well for him.
0: Time for us to put our money where our mouth is. Who are we going for?
1: I'm going Poirier. I, I, I think, uh, I think he has a much more varied game in terms of his striking attacks. Uh, I, I, li- I just love that edge in the technical defense. And it's just, it's such a hard guard to prepare for. I could see Chandler sneaking a shot in and getting the win, um, especially if it's a brawl. But I also trust the durability of Dustin Poirier more than I trust the durability of Chandler. Not to say he's yeah. chinny. I, I think that we know that you can put the lights out on on Chandler. You can on Poirier, too, but it's a little harder. Um, I, know. Uh, I think it's going to be fight of the night, guaranteed, probably, but uh, I'd be stunned if this fight is just okay.
0: <laughs> you know, um, But I think it's going to be a Poirier win. I'm going to hedge my bets a little bit here. So, oh, uh, Carl, you're being a coward, all that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> I think Dustin Poirier is going to win. I'm going to say he takes a unanimous decision, but... If Michael Chandler is going to win, it's gonna be in the first round because we know how explosive Chandler can be during that time. The longer the fight goes, the more I favor Dustin Poirier. I think Chandler maybe has some conditioning issues. We've seen him get dropped before, and Dustin certainly has the power to drop him. But I don't know. Just a good instinct in in sort of my part here. Just says Michael Chandler. I, I could see Michael Chandler finishing Dustin Poirier in the first round. There's just something in there that makes me think it could happen.
1: He has that it factor in yeah. that right hand of his. That he, When a guy has speed and power like that, and he knows what he's doing. He isn't just throwing Saturday night specials. These are very clean, calculated, and tight punches he throws. Um, when a guy's like that, it's, it's very hard saying no against him uh, no matter what. It's, uh, cause he can just, all, all, it's MMA, you know, all it takes is one second.
0: All indications seem to be that the next lightweight title fight will be Makachev versus volkanovsky If that fight falls through for some reason, bearing in mind the entertainment factor of both fighters, bearing in mind the name value of both fighters, does a win for either guy see them jump Benny in the sort of like pecking order? From an entertainment
1: standpoint, I go, oh, that'd be kind of fun. But I – I, Benny deserves it so much. Like I – he he deserves that next title shot so bad, I think. Um, I would hate it if that happened. I could see it happening because it seems like the UFC doesn't like Benil Dariush. But, uh, you know, we'll see
0: main event time now, we are going to the women's strawweight division, where Carla Esparza makes the first defense of her second acquired belt, and she's going to be taking on China's Zhang Wei Li. Even though Esparza is the champion, she enters this fight as a big underdog, second biggest underdog on the entire card, plus 280, and gets Zhang Wei at minus 340. Now, I want to start this discussion with a little bit of a disclaimer, and I just want to put this out there to cover my own box. I have no issue with Sean wei lee on a personal level, I think she seems like a lovely person and as a fighter, she is fantastic to watch. With that being said, we often talk about fighters getting the so-called Dana White privilege. And whether that's for personal reasons, from Dana's perspective, whether that's for business reasons. I'd argue Sean wei lee is somebody you've put in that sort of bracket. Because I was looking through her portfolio in research for this. And I could make an argument that she's had three title fights so far, and none of them have been 100%, I wouldn't say deserved, but I think there's stronger contenders for the title fights that she did have. Because first time out, she was like the number seven seed, and her only top ten win was against Tisha Torres, yet she still fought against Andrade. The second time, she had the rematch against Rose, even though the first fight ended in just over a minute. And this time around, she's getting a title fight off beating Yuana, who hadn't fought for two years. And I kind of think to myself, the UFC have... The UFC want to break the Chinese market. Does Mm -hmm. Zhang Weili get these opportunities if she was from a different nation?
1: Oh, that's such a hard one to answer, but the truth is very simple. No, she doesn't. Uh, If... um... I, I don't think so. Uh, she's a fantastic fighter. I think she's great. Uh, and um, But no. I, I you know Marina Rodriguez would be in here if it, if it wasn't uh, for her nationality. I yeah. think.
0: And I don't want to make that clear to a lot of the sort of Sean Weh-Lee fans who might be listening to this. I am not criticizing your girl whatsoever. I just... Mm-hmm. I personally like to believe that title fights should be based on meritocracy and in my personal opinion marina deserves it more mm.
1: it's not her fault it's not her camp's fault no. it's not even her nationality's fault it's the ufc's fault and that's who we're uh looking at yes. you know putting putting the blame on it's uh, uh if i was in her shoes or her camp shoes or any of that no i'd i'd welcome all the dana white privilege in the world uh and that's what she should do i i agree with that at the end of the day you want to win and you want to be you want to make money and dana white privilege is a fantastic way to to get at least one of those.
0: Yeah, and I think another factor in this as well, in Sean Whaley getting the title fight, is sort of my second point here, which is, we all saw what happened when Carla Vespaza fought against Rosenami Yunus. It's up there, arguably, as one of the worst title fights of all time. And even though I think Carla Vespaza deserves a lot of praise for getting that title back eight years after losing it, I think that's a fantastic achievement that not many people are focusing on. She did so with one of the worst title fights of all time. She has quite a grappling-heavy style, which I think puts off a lot of casual fans. Is this UFC wanting sort of a flashy, aggressive knockout artist to take the belt off the unpopular wrestler?
1: I definitely see that. I think they definitely go, oh, this is a good, this is a good matchup, I think, for Wiley Zhang. I think they're saying that as well. And uh, Or Zhang Wiley, I should say. And... I I think I could definitely see them going that they they just want to get the belt off of Sparza especially after that last fight and uh, and if there's anyone that needs evidence for it they they reuploaded that fight to promote Carla Sparza which I think they're definitely trying to build a, a negative reaction mm-hmm. towards her with that uh, I think if it was a beloved fighter you know that had just one bad fight it it happens you know um they wouldn't have shown that fight. They would never re-upload that fight, but they did in preparation for this. I think that is a sneaky little marketing or promotional tool they, they did there.
0: And in return, they hired Whaley versus Juana too, which of course, spinning backfist, highlight reel knockout.
1: Yeah, and it's a fantastic fight as well before that. So I think they definitely are trying to build a, like telling the casual fans, no, 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 no. You, you want to vote. You want to root for Zhang Whaley. Li not carla esparza see carla gave you that one it's a little weird
0: yeah well we're going to try and do our best to make people sort of excited about carla esparza it's going to be a tough job but we do like a challenge here so 19 and 6 record two-time ufc strawweight champion she won the belt back in 2014 which was the tough 20 finale lost it in the first defense to juana Eight years later, managed to get it back again by beating Rose Namajunas, which I love that sort of circle of life approach as it comes to Carla. In terms of her notable wins, she has had some of them. Apart from Rose twice, she's also beaten Yan Xiaonan, which is a very dominant performance, which I do recommend people check out. Marina Rodriguez, a lot of people think that she should be fighting for the belt next. Michelle Watson, Alexa Grasso, who's making a lot of waves right now in the flyweight division. She's beaten a lot of top names, not only in the UFC, but also in Invicta as well. Her fighting style isn't exciting. I want to make that clear. But it's effective.
1: Yeah. It it's uh it's not her fault that the opponents can't stop her, you know. It's uh she's dominating another grown uh grown adult for however long she has to and gets a win. That's that's impressive. You know, we, we've mentioned it before, like that's an impressive feat. In, a, in of itself um but her career like her her resume is very very impressive uh you mentioned the circle of life thing uh you know i mean uh people you know you mentioned it earlier on as well eight years ago she was the inaugural champion 115 uh beating rose nami Yunus, and uh in tough the big story was rose nami Yunus, but she was impressive or carlos farza was throughout the whole show You know, she was the number one seated person and she ran through basically everyone to get to the the finals.
0: Yeah, and I think as well, because a lot of the criticisms of people through Akala, especially after the Ioana fight, was this girl is just a wrestler. People are just going to keep piecing her up and she's going to pick up loss after loss after loss if she can't get the fight to the ground. And yet for her to still be a prominent part of this weight class, the best weight class in the UFC right now in in terms of the women's side of things easily. Yeah. Yeah, It deserves a lot of praise, even if you don't especially like the way she does it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's perfectly okay to critique the entertainment value of a fighter, but that doesn't mean you, I feel like that's really awkward to uh, critique the person as well. Uh, But I mean, it's just, it's very odd for me, Um, you know, but she's, She's got a great resume. Honestly, she, she's probably in the Hall of Fame. You know, we know he mentioned that with Poirier and Frankie. She's probably a, a Hall of Famer, you know, honestly. Two time champion. The first, I think she's, no, technically Rose is. Rose is the first two time champion, but still, eight years removed. That's a whole career for some fighters, is eight years. I and
0: she, I think she's going to be one of those people who, based off portfolio, should be in, but the UFC never do
1: like a Frank Shamrock, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about Shang-Wei though. Her opponent, 22-3 record. Her last fight, as we mentioned, was beating Ioana and Jacek up in Singapore. Uh, outside of Ioana, her other UFC wins include Jessica Andrade, Tisha Torres, uh, Jessica Aguilar, and her UFC debut against Danielle Taylor. You covered that in your Retro Review. Um, mm-hmm. eleven knockouts, seven submissions. At one point, she was on a twenty-fight winning streak, both in the UFC and the regional chores over in China. Um, and the big thing that stands out for wei Lee is this girl cracks. She has a lot of power for this weight class.
1: It's funny too because uh before her title fight against uh, Jessica Gondraj, she was known for like, oh, she seems like she has power, but she just isn't getting these finishes. You know, and then all it took was one fight, and we all kind of realized, like, oh, just because you, you were hurting people, you were never finishing people. That doesn't mean you don't have power. And in the Jessica Andrade fight, she showed off that power very quickly. And even since then, she's kind of felt like this. Um, she has kind of a, a Thai style in her striking. She feels like a, like a Muay Thai powerhouse out there. When I watch her fight, that's like the comparisons I think of mentally.
0: Yeah, and I think that as well the other big thing as well as the power uh since training with henry sahudor there have been big progression in her wrestling
1: absolutely uh i you know i i think always had a weakness in her wrestling but despite that um she looked great in their rematch she was taking her down at will she was controlling from top position uh and her takedowns weren't sloppy they were very clean con- uh precise and you know tight i guess is the best word i can think of uh and her strength she has a big she's a very very strong 115er and uh i you know so she was able to kind of bully and muscle uh rose in the second fight that and i thought she
0: won that fight
1: but that's neither here nor there i suppose <laughs>
0: Um, And I think from a Carla's perspective, that's where I would get the most worry because this Mm. is no longer a striker versus grappler matchup. Like, uh, Whaley has obviously made progression with her wrestling and with that, she's going to obviously make progression with her takedown defense. Now, Rose Mm. did have success getting Whaley down a couple of times, which I will have as a little bit of a disclaimer. However... That was maybe a side of Rose's game that Whaley didn't prep for. Like with Rose, you expected a stand-up battle, and then she's going in for takedowns. We know what yeah. Carla Sparks is going to do. She's going to try and shoot whenever she possibly can, and she's oh, yeah. going to be prepped for that.
1: And she's going to circle, circle, and then try to go for a double.
0: Yeah, it's the Carla Vivespa way. It's how she's built this winning streak. Hmm. And. If there's one thing I have noticed about Carla, because she has had six losses in her career, and the big thing that sort of defines those losses is if she's not able to get the takedowns, especially if she doesn't get them early, she can get a bit discouraged and she panics. Yeah. Like, a lot of people forget, if you go back and watch the fight with Ioana, Carla actually got Ioana down very early in that fight. But once Ioana got back to her feet... Carla's body language changed. It was a bit like, oh, okay. Uh, What do I do now? Not entirely sure. And when that happened, Ioana started teeing off, and she started panicking.
1: Yeah, it's like it broke her, you know? Yeah. Um, And that feels very disrespectful to say, because we're talking about a champion here, but it does seem like mentally she can be a little uh, shaken, I guess would be the
0: And we even even saw with the Alexa Grosso fight as well. First two rounds, Mm -hmm. Carla was getting the takedowns, Third round started, Alexa stuffed won, and she started teeing off as well. Nearly got submitted.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I hate. I know, yeah, it's, you, I, uh, know, I know you hate me bringing that one up because Alexa's your girl. It's my girl. Uh, my heart,
1: it, it, it hurts, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that third round, you know, Alexa did come back and win it, so I'm, I'm happy with it. Yeah.
0: I would be interested to see what was to happen if Carla was able to get the takedown on Whaley, because... The one thing I did notice from Wei Li in the Rose fight, I think Rose won that fight personally. And I think the way Ro- mm. Rose won that fight was she was being a lot more active off her back. She was trying to throw submissions. She was trying to work sort of elbow strikes to make it a little bit difficult, trying to scramble for position. Whaley seemed a lot more content to stay on her back. And I'd be interested to Just see hold. whether or not she, she sort of closes that hole in the game or whether Carla is able to grind her out, stay in full guard, and end up sort of sneaking these rounds. Because in theory, Carla only needs three takedowns to win this fight.
1: Yeah. Yeah, in theory, that's technically all she needs. with That and some control time, which she's going to get if she gets those takedowns. Uh, I I wonder two things. If I remember correctly, I remember Rose swept Wiley at one point. But I'm trying to remember didn't Wiley sweep her back later on in the fight, um, and I because I, I wonder what what the bottom game is for Wiley Zhang. What if she does get taken down? What options does she have? Does you know is her whole game plan to not ever be taken down? Because you have to in my mind I think you prepare for the, the worst. Like what if I get a kick caught? Or I get taken down. Um, so I'm kind of curious what the plan is and what the skills are there. Um, that being said, uh, I, I really hope she's evolved her game. If she, do, if why, let's say Wiley wins the, the grappling, the wrestling exchanges, and she's the one who's in the top. She was just very, very much just holding Rose, uh, and, uh, allowing Rose to kind of, you know, be the busier fighter from the bottom. Um, for the most part, I, I I wonder if there's any evolution in that aspect of her wrestling, but definitely, and it's that—that's an interesting one of her because like the her adding just the wrestling and a grappling game to her already good striking base makes this one a little like almost infinitely more interesting.
0: Yeah, what can Carla Esparza do in the stand-up? Maybe not so much to try and hurt Willie. I don't think anyone's expecting Carla Esparza to turn into Wonder Boy but can she mm. do anything to maybe throw Wiley off guard to set up these shots?
1: Uh, well, we, we know that Wiley has uh, had an issue. I, I I noticed it in the Joanna fight. I think it was the most recent one, but I might be thinking of the first one, uh, but definitely in the first Rose fight where uh, yeah. it, you can definitely mix her up, it seems like, by attacking low or faking low and going high. Um, I could see an Asparza trying to maybe like Whenever she's faking a double, hands drop like a left hook and then maybe into a clinch and then try to clinch against the cage, try to work for a takedown from there. I could see that working. I think a lead left hook for her would be great. Um, be careful overshooting it because it'll, it'll leave you open for a, a counter, but that's with any big shot like that. Um, that's, that's something I think I could see her throwing a lot, though, is uh, trying to, maybe trying to utilize a lead left hook off of a uh, faking double legs and everything like that. Faking any level changes into punches is great. Um, another one too is if like if they're clinched and she feels like she's gonna lose positioning, she could just kind of you know like a, I forgot who there was a fighter who always oh it's, it's funny, it's Leon Edwards uh, who always elbows on the on the exit of a clinch. and I think something like that could benefit her as well. I think uh, oh, we're leaving the clinch exchanges let's throw an elbow and then maybe I can elbow or throw a punch into another level change and just stay on her. Any kind of striking that's going to allow her to close the distance or stay on top of Wiley Zhang is going to be very, very beneficial for her.
0: I would be very worried for Carla if it does stay in the clinch. I think that's one of where these biggest strengths, Um, I think she's going to have to, she's going to have to, I I can see something actually, and I hate to say this from an entertainment perspective I could see something similar from Carla's point of view, similar to the second Rose fight, staying on the outside right. and then trying to shoot in to get these takedowns. Where I think it could be different though is, I think Rose was very willing for whatever reason to sit back and just sort of play into her game. Where these going to be mm-hmm. trying to go forward a lot more?
1: Yeah. it's uh, that, with, the, with the Rose fight, both of them were totally content with just circling each other. And uh, putting us to sleep, uh, but uh, what, Zhang Weili is not going to do that. She's going to be very aggressive. Uh, she isn't like an entertainer, like we say with like Chandler or Gaethje, but uh, she's aggressive. You know, there's a difference in that. And uh, I think I'm very curious uh, how the footwork is going to work under pressure. The sights, the the lateral movement. Um, that's that's definitely something that. Is going to be uh, that's a very interesting wrinkle added to the potential fighting on the feet if there is any striking on the feet, yeah. But then again, Joanna, uh, she tried Asparza again, this was like eight years ago. Um, but uh, Joanna tried, um, uh, against her, she cut her off, cut the ring off very, very well. If I remember right, uh, Wiley with her kicks and her hooks, she's very good at cutting the ring off, if I remember correctly. So that could be a very, very big, you know, weapon against the Sparza here.
0: Most people are picking Whirly to win this one. Do you share the sentiment?
1: I, I do. Uh, I think I think she's going to have the strength advantage, and I really like her training with Sehudo. I think the improvement she made in her wrestling game with Sehudo is astronomical. I never thought of her as uh, a gr- a good wrestler offensively. Um, until after, like, the second Rose fight, I was like, oh, whoa, this just came out of nowhere. And uh, it was fantastic, I thought. And I, I think, I have to wonder, she's been training with him still. I wonder if we've had any more leaps and improvements. Um, if not, I think where she was at in that second Rose fight, uh, I think she still has the tools and the, the strength to get a win here. I, I'm going to say her by, I could see a unanimous decision or perhaps even uh, a stoppage if she does mentally shake Uh, esparza
0: i'm going to say a second or third round stoppage for Whaley. i don't see Mm -hmm. it being like a one-shot kill i can see against something very similar to the Uana fight just a accumulation of Whaley strikes and eventually esparza wilts under the pressure and uh i was going to say big john but he's long retired like herb dean jumps in and says that's enough herb dean would stop at the round after but yeah (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: they'd be announcing it they'd, like when they're uh, uh, what's it called another ref would be announcing getting ready to lift the hands up and herb dean's gonna stop it then
0: and he still gets massive cheers like the the casual fans love herb he's got a look to
1: him you know he has a, a unique look uh, an iconic look honestly and uh he used to be pretty good um, he was never as good as I thought they ever said they used to call him the gold standard I never thought he was that uh, but um, man uh, he, I, I, I feel like he's a danger out there to fighters out I if I was fighting I would request him not ref my fights but.
0: one thing I will say is we're all expecting Whaley to win this one I personally think that she's mm-hmm. going to quite comfortably. It's going to make the next title situation a little bit interesting because we're recording this on a Saturday, so we don't know the result between Marina and Amanda Limush, but it's feasible that Marina especially could be fighting for the belt next if she was to win this fight. But mm. if Whaley was to win, you've got a certain Mrs. Nara Eunice saying, hang on a minute, I've beaten this girl twice. I knocked her out in a minute. Why aren't I getting that fight?
1: Yeah, I thought it was really kind of. I, I only, I only the reason I think they didn't make it a trilogy fight for uh, Esparza is because of how bad the last fight was from an entertainment standpoint. Was they were like, well, normally we would just give you this, uh, you know, give you this fight back because it was close, I, I guess. Uh, that's a hard one to score at, at the very least. And um, I think from an entertainment standpoint is the reason they didn't give her the Esparza rematch. I definitely think the, Argument would be there for uh, Zhang Wiley and Rose 3. But, man, I, I feel like Marina Rodriguez, I feel like she's been number one contender for over three, four years now. Uh, obviously, that's not the case. I think it's been closer to a, a year and a half. But, come on. it's uh, Just give her a shot already. She's, she's beating everybody else.
0: Yeah, and I think this division, as much as I do like the strawweight division, we do need new blood fighting for the belt. We can't just keep having the same four or five names fighting each other all the time. It's It
1: reminds you of Pantoja at flyweight.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: like do a T is what it reminds me of.
0: Main event time, we're going up to the middleweight division, and the title is on the line. Israel Adesanya is making his sixth title defense, and he's going to be taking on an old rival of his, the number four seed, Alex Pereva. A lot of fan support. Israel Adesanya, widely considered at one point to be one of the more popular champions in the UFC. People courting him as next Anderson Silva, all these highlight reel knockouts. But in recent weeks, in recent months, that support has waned a little bit. He's been criticised by a lot of fans for having a safe fighting style. Uh, We used to call this like Tim Silvia syndrome, where a fighter would be incredibly explosive on the way to the title. And once they actually get the belt, their main focus becomes not wanting to lose it rather than trying to win. Is Adesanya a victim of Sylvia Syndrome?
1: Absolutely. Uh, he's, uh, he's definitely got that Tim Sylvia Syndrome. I've actually never heard that. I love that. That's genius. Um, he's, he's suffering from a bad case of it, I think, personally. Um, that being said, uh, it's very easy to understand, I think, why he has a fan base. Uh, I know a lot of people who I'm not calling them out, but I know a lot of people who don't watch the sport, and they love Israel Adesanya. Why? Because they like the they like the same bad animes, the the same you know. The uh, I mean, I like the Undertaker walkout personally, but uh, but they love the the stupid Naruto run and all that. And uh, me with my old jaded self, I'm just sitting there like, ah, oh, Naruto, Cowboy Bebop instead. Uh. But <laughs> I, they, they love all that. They love his, uh, you know, uh, like pop culture references and stuff like that, you know. Um, and uh, they, they like – and he honestly is – when he is throwing kicks and punches, um, he's very smooth. And that is very uh, appealing that a guy can move like the way he does uh, when he is fighting. So they love Izzy. Um, but I don't think they've ever actually watched a full fight of his besides the yawn fight for this select group of people. Um, and uh, so I understand the appeal of him, but I do think he's definitely gotten a little boring since he's gotten this belt.
0: Like I have to say, I have a I have a very casual friend in my own personal life, yeah, and he adores Adesanya. He he just yeah. knows him as style bender, but he just absolutely yeah. adores everything about him. And he couldn't believe it when I said that Kamara Usman had been a more entertaining champion than Adesanya was. Yeah, they all know
1: him as style bender too. Uh, I, I have the one friend in particular I'm talking about uh, is uh, I, I have a couple friends that like that love Izzy. One friend in particular, at least he's seen Izzy fight multiple times and he goes, oh, that was kind of boring, but I still like the guy. That's fair. But I have one friend in particular who I don't think ever watched the fight and uh, was trying to tell me why Izzy dominated Yon. I'm like I with some of the outlandish things, but they love Style Bender, and I, I definitely get it. And it's very alarming when you tell them. Uh, like, oh, no, no he's, he's kind of boring. What? How? He walked out like the Undertaker, though. Did you watch the rest of the fight, though? Like, people were leaving the stands in that Cannoneer fight. Like, it, it, it reminded me of that Tyrone Woodley thing uh, where it was uh, Dana White crit- critiquing the Damian Maia fight. People don't want to watch you fight.
0: That's a problem.
1: But uh, when people were walking out of the, the Cannoneer thing...
0: Um, And I think it's been one of the factors in the UFC making this fight. Because Alex Pereira is a guy who's fought Adesanya twice in kickboxing. Uh, He won the first fight by decision. A lot of people argue Adesanya won that one. Second fight, Adesanya was winning that fight. And then ended up getting knocked out. Only person to ever finish Israel Adesanya. So, there's a lot of backstory behind this one. It's going up against a guy that we know to be very aggressive who has history with Adesanya, but in terms of meritocracy, is it right that Alex Pereira is getting this fight?
1: No. uh, No. In in a perfect world where judges get the right call and uh, we give title fights based on uh, meritocracy, uh, Robert Whitaker would hold the belt. But, you know, uh, (laughs) that's my bias showing. But um, I I don't think in terms of meritocracy, I don't think Bejeta... Deserves to be here. But it, it, it checks all the boxes the UFC loves. So that's why he's
0: here. I know you're quite vocal about this. You know, Do you know what this fight reminds me of to an extent? It reminds me of Bisping Henderson too, Because from a storyline perspective, that fight made a lot of sense. Because you <clears> had <throat> the first fight, Bisping getting knocked out brutally. And now becoming champion... Uh, it's going to be Hendo's last fight. Bisping's going to be fighting in the UK for the first time. So you had a lot of storyline reasons to do that mm. fight. And the fight played out fantastically. It was a very good fight.
1: Yeah. It was incredible, but it's just the reasons weren't good enough. But, yeah.
0: Yeah. but you had to sort of put on hold the fact that Dan Henderson was 46 years old, had just beaten <laughs> Hector Lombard, and was jumping joel Romero, Robert Whittaker... Jager Musati to get the fight yeah. with Bisping.
1: And he was, ignore the fact that he wasn't top 10 as well. Like The UFC did all this mental gymnastics to get him a title shot. It was, it was, uh, it'd be incredibly entertaining if it wasn't sad.
0: Okay. <laughs> I will say though, I will have a little bit of a disclaimer. We do have Alex Pereva who beat a top 5 fighter in Sean Strickland and a lot of people, including myself, fought that Strickland should have fought the winner of Canania versus Adesanya. He was next in line. Pereira beats him. He jumps the queue. So I get that. But yeah. it is a bit fast-tracking, considering the fact, I mean, this is going to be a year to the day that Alex Pereira made his UFC debut, and he's fighting for the belt.
1: Yeah, we both picked Strickland to win. Uh, I remember being very adamant about that and having a, a big reaction to those uh the odds that you read off and then looking or feeling so dumb afterwards we
0: just didn't know victim was going to choose to fight that way
1: yeah that's that's why i think he lost because i still want to see that guy really take it to him in the grappling exchanges but oh well here we are um i i gotta be i think they are fast tracking him but you know you look at the storyline. Uh, as well. And I have another reason, I have another theory as why this fight was made. But the storyline, of course, the kickboxing things. I thought, I personally think Izzy won the first kickboxing fight. I watched them last night. I thought he won the first one. Second one, he was winning. Then, you know, he got leveled. It, it happens. Um, but I think the other reason why is is talking. And he said from the his UFC debut, oh, I'm coming just to hunt down and beat up Adesanya again because I know I can. And that's been messing with Izzy. Like, you can tell it's been getting under his skin. Not like, you know, it's not like, oh, man, I'm I'm having, like, I'm not saying he has, like, cold sweats. But it's definitely getting under his skin and annoying him, (laughs) as it would anybody. And I think the last time Izzy put on an entertaining fight was where he himself was the entertaining part of it, was the Costa fight. Yes. And Costa got under Izzy's skin the same exact way and i think they're going hey here's another guy that they had izzy and him have beef maybe izzy will be entertaining again and we can get all these casuals to calm down and tell all the hardcore fans that izzy isn't boring like maybe this is their way of like we're going to get an exciting fight out of izzy because when izzy is makes it personal he's he's that guy He's that guy say, that everyone loves.
0: I will say, even if I don't personally agree with Alex Perever being fast tracked, he has done a fantastic job trying to sell this fight.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, Once again, like I don't like the promo- or I don't like the matchmaking, but man, you know what? In terms of promotion, he's doing a fantastic job. Uh, sometimes some stuff feels a little a little mean spirited, like showing uh, the video of his kids making fun of Izzy, who just got knocked out in in the kickboxing. That was a little mean. But, um, no, he's, uh, he's selling this fight very, very well,
0: for sure. Yeah. Let's get to the sort of bells and whistles of this matchup so far. We'll focus on Pereira a little bit. This is only going to be his eighth pro fight. So, and I think outside of the women's division, I can't think of another fighter in recent years who has had so few fights and then fought for a belt. I mean, you're going back to, say, Brock, who yeah. was like two and one, something like that when he got the fight against Randy Couture, what do you think it is that has caused, what do you think has been the biggest factor in Pereira's success? Is he getting lucky with the matchmaking, or is there intricacies there, which is saying he can do this not only to Adesanya, but to anyone else in the top five?
1: Uh, I think the matchmaking has helped out a little bit. If you remember in his debut, though, the guy, if I remember correctly, his opponent wasn't known to be a grappler and definitely controlled him in that whole first round. And I remember I think it was uh I always shout him out. I'm ninety percent sure it was Jack Slack. Shout out to him once again that said, uh, like, oh I bet you he's gonna be the type of striker to run out and flying knee. And he did. And it <laughs> won the fight. Like and he goes, In the business. Oh yeah, he's fantastic. I think he even put out a tweet. He goes, I'm not a I'm not a psychic. I was a, just I'm just a clown that likes to joke. It just happened to be, be true. And uh yeah, and you know, he he won with the flying knee, which is a great, as we've said before many times, uh, against level changes. Um, and then he fought, it was Bruno Silva, if I remember correctly. And that was always going to be a striking fight. And he did a fantastic job at controlling the striking and kind of playing his own game, definitely utilizing his kickboxing experience to just kind of control and dominate the whole fight in the striking department uh, while still having that great power. Um, and then Sean Strickland didn't wrestle him. And, uh, threw lazy jabs out and got clobbered by the, that money
0: left hook. Walking um, down, hands beside his waist.
1: Just, he reminded me of, like, the stance, and I like Sean Strickland as a fighter, the person, no comment, but uh, um, uh, it reminded me of that, uh, that I, I think it was uh, I- Ilya McFarlane when she fought the, the woman who just showed up. Soccer mom. Yes, I, I didn't want to say it, but yeah, the soccer mom that just showed up, and she, she's coming out throwing punches like that. With their hands like right here definitely the sean strickland did against uh Paheta, but i um i think he's he's obviously very good and i think you can make the argument that he is the best striker in mma uh, i think the argument is somewhat there in terms of prestige and just how well he has looked in the striking like he has looked basically untouchable so far in the ufc in the striking department um
0: and it's the power we'll as well like, his left hook especially, like, there was that clip going around online of him versus Bruno Silva. And I think Silva's the one who's, like, putting the pressure on him. And then there's just this sort of, like, sneaky left hook. It doesn't look like anything. And then you just mm-hmm. sort of see Silva just sort of, like, rock, rock backwards Yeah. And say, whoa, what's, what's going on here?
1: Yeah, it was, Silva had, like, was pretty animated facially in, like, the, in like replays of that fight. Because he gets touched, and it's, like... That didn't look like it had a ton of power on it, or oomph, and maybe it just landed right. It's very spooky. That's like what my dad would say. He's like very spooky, kind of power to him, uh, because it feels almost like supernatural how he touches you, and you just go, whoa, whoa, this guy hits like that. And that was, you know, it it missed me, and I'm concussed. You know, it feels like tons of power on him, and he is massive. Uh, Seeing pictures of him, I honestly question. The pictures of him training next to other fighters i go is this guy getting photoshopped to be looked bigger or is he actually that big he looks like a monster like, to the point where i
0: there's a picture i wonder if he's gonna in, make weight um, there's a picture of him and glover together and glover's like been a two or 205 all of his career and he's yeah. even bigger than glover
1: yeah glover fought a heavyweight back in the day like I, I think years ago and yeah he's bigger than glover it is that is a scary just large guy that's somehow fighting at 185. Um, big, big dude, spooky, supernatural power, quick. He's got some speed to him. Obviously he's very quick. Uh, if you watch his kickboxing again, that left hook for, for Strickland did come out of nowhere uh, in terms of speed. You know, uh, I remember, I remember not seeing the punch, but seeing Strickland's head get, you know, nearly knocked off his shoulders. I remember not, uh, he definitely is a little spooky of a guy on the feet, and I have to wonder if what I have to wonder what the striking game plan is for Izzy there. But he does know him, so very curious.
0: I can see a lot of lateral movement from Adesanya. I think he's definitely mm. going to be playing the the matador to his ball, trying to yeah. sort of dart in and out, stay on the outside. Um, I think Izzy does take some time finding his entries, and. A lot of people maybe don't follow the sort of intricacies of the sort of striking side of things, and just thinking, "Why isn't Adesanya throwing?" I think one of the things that Adesanya has done in this sort of title vein is he's only going to press forward when he feels comfortable doing so. So he's mm. going to wait for the perfect entry, and yes, that's going to take a bit of time. It is effective though when he does it.
1: Mm-hmm. The big thing for him is uh, is is when guys pressure him. If they have a pre, they pressure him with calculated pressure, uh, or your head is like Marvin Vittori and just impossible to <laughs> dance. Uh, he does kind of slow down a little bit, you know, like against Vittori, he realized he's just gonna break his hands instead of, uh, <laughs> you know, instead of hurting him. Um, so he kind of he'll slow down a bit, but whenever uh, he's allowed to lead the dance, he'll he does a ton of feints, and if you bite on it at all, he knows he can. He knows what options he has available to him. He's very, uh, like, his brain and the striking is like a computer. It's, he's very, very intelligent, very calculated. Um, and in, in the one fight uh, that I can definitively say uh, he lost the striking to uh, was uh, the yawn. I thought he did lose the striking to yawn uh, because yawn didn't fall for any of his feints. Yawn just flat out said, I don't care <laughs> to his feints and just ignored him. And, and, and I love- think that kind of froze Izzy.
0: Like Elsa. Yeah, frozen like <laughs> Elsa. I <laughs> remember um, that. And the other thing that Jan did as well, which I think Alex Pereira might try and utilize in his game, he took away Adesanya's leg kicks.
1: Mm-hmm. Check them all. And that's a big weapon of Izzy. That's, that's like Izzy's third jab, because he'll use an inside low kick uh, based on what angle he wants to go to, and he'll use an outside low kick as a way of kind of keeping you in place. And... That's like you know one of his bigger, long-range attacks for him that are almost a little noncommittal for him. And taking them away kind of takes away setting the dinner table for Izzy, in a sense.
0: A lot of people have put forward this idea as a possibility. I'm going to put it forward to you. There are legitimate question marks about how good Alex Pereira is off his back. The only loss mm-hmm. of his MMA career, which was a long time ago, I want to stress that, uh, mm-hmm. came when he was taken down and ended up getting submitted. Do you think we're going to see Ardesanya try and utilize some grappling in this fight?
1: Yeah, I actually do. Uh, I I could see it. Um, I could see that if Izzy thinks the striking isn't working out. uh, And I want to stress that when they have, the two times they have fought, Izzy did have him figured out on the feet. He just got caught and then he he was on the bad end of a bad decision. It it happens. Uh, But, you know, he did figure him out. If it isn't that way for him now, you know, I think whenever you are the guy who loses or or was struggling in the rematch, I think you have the advantage because, uh, as you pointed it out, it's like have, knowing the test, the quiz answers uh, ahead of time yes. on a game show. Uh, for me, it's like well, the winner uh, – what's, what's the winner do? I got to just do what I did last time. That's what I have to do again. And uh, the loser goes, well, here's all the things I can improve and not so I can beat what he did last time. It's a little – uh, kind of uh, very lopsided uh, in rematches. Um, I, and funny enough, despite the fact that is up 2-0 on him, I think Izzy has that advantage. He knows what to expect more than and how to play around it. I think he can, if the striking isn't going his way, I'd imagine he's like, okay, I, I can take him down. i got to stay on the outside, avoid a knee or an uppercut, and I can maybe clinch up, I can get a trip. He's been, MMA experience is huge here, and I think he... I think he definitely can. I, I think he definitely... I mean, he, honestly, Kelvin Gastelum, it's really hard to take Izzy down, so obviously he works his wrestling. And Kelvin Gastelum nearly got put in the triangle choke by Izzy in their fight, in their masterpiece of a fight. So he clearly is working on his grappling. He isn't just a striker. Uh, I could definitely see him pulling it out if he needs to and uh, maybe getting a win here with it.
0: Can you imagine Adesanya winning this fight by submission?
1: Uh <laughs> I, I want to know what happens uh, to Twitter and uh, all the casuals head if uh, Adesanya shows up and Jake shields him for five rounds. Yeah. like That
0: would be that he, would be sort of like, in terms of the UFC, that would probably be one of the worst case scenarios because they've set up this fight in terms of the opponent, in terms of the marketing, in terms of the style of fighter. They're basically mm-hmm. trying to force Izzy and saying, you will have an entertaining fight.
1: Yeah. And then he Jake shields him. like ex- Like, that's... I'm kind of hoping for that because I'm maybe a, becoming an anarchist and I want the world to burn. Uh, you know, like this is my revenge. I want for the judges, you know, taking the belt from Whittaker or not giving the belt to Whitaker again. But uh, I think that sounds really funny. I don't think it'll happen for the record, but uh, I think that'd be really funny. I would love to see Twitter and Dana White, just Dana White would no longer be Dana red. He'd be, Oh man he would probably just explode honestly if that happened
0: it's going to be interesting to see regardless of who wins in terms of what happens to the middleweight division because my personal opinion i think middleweight is a division which is really struggling for top names right now and i mean if Pereira was to win then it's a given that he's going to be fighting the Whitaker versus Costa winner absolutely yep and personally i think Whittaker is going to win that one I have legitimate questions if that fight was to happen, Pereva versus Whittaker. My personal opinion, I think Bob wins that one comfortably. Because I think Bob yeah. has the grappling game to neutralize what Pereva could do on the feet. Oh, absolutely. Uh,
1: I, Spoiler, I'm picking Izzy to win this fight. Uh, I think Izzy and Whittaker are just going to beat everybody until they get too old to beat everybody. I, I'm, I'm really worried for the future of the middleweight division.
0: Because if Izzy was to win, then... Who are you going to go for afterwards? Because you can't really give Whittaker a third fight because mm. Izzy's 2-0 up. What, do you go with Strickland if he beats Cananea? And that's a hard sell given what happened to Sean Strickland against Pereira.
1: Yeah. I guess you would have to pitch it as, oh, oh, oh he, he just got caught. It happens. Anyways, let's move on. Um, but, man, I... this division's in trouble. Uh, funny enough, we really need an Edmund Shabazzian comeback. We need that fresh blood. Where's Darren Till at? Darren Till needs to straighten up and get rid of these injuries because we need something in this division because, I mean, like, when I think of the top contenders, I think of of Marvin Vittori. Uh, He just got smoked by Whitaker really bad, and he's lost two to Izzy. Okay. Uh, Robert Whitaker. Well, he's lost two to Izzy. Uh, Paul He has to beat Whitaker. Tough task for him. And... He's lost to Izzy. Um, okay, Yolo Romero. Well, he's gone. Uh, like who... Like Derek Brunson. Uh, he's fought both. He's been finished and knocked out in the first round against Izzy and Whitaker. It, it feels like it's a two-man show. And...
0: I, I don't know... That's not for it's anywhere, class. as As impressive no. as both guys are. It's not... Yeah. It's not entertaining to see. I know. It, it's...
1: Oh, man. I thought of a horrible idea. But... It might, it might happen in the future. I think there's, there might be one guy to add a bit of excitement to this division.
0: Don't you put that evil on me?
1: <laughs> and he I just missed weight at one seventy. He just, I just now thought of it. Like he just missed weight at one seventy. Oh, uh, his name rhymes with, uh, Hamzat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. That's like the only guy I could think of to maybe add something to this division and it's funny i'd still pick him to lose against these two
0: guys we need to start the drink uh, a train
1: <laughs> yeah actually
0: i like that guy he's flailing maybe, arms flailing arms his way to a title fight
1: yes oh the biggest shoulder the biggest shoulders ever and the <laughs> the ugliest boxing maybe roberto soldic he'll maybe he'll go to middleweight if he comes to the ufc that'd be exciting actually
0: so you're picking adesanya to win this one
1: yeah, I think he's going to stay on the outside and uh, make this a boring five-round fight.
0: I I can see something similar to what we saw in Glory in the second fight. I think Adesanya mm. is going to have a lot of success in this fight, but that power of Pereira is something ridiculous. Like, I'll put it this way. I'm going to pick Pereira to win this one by finish, mm-hmm. but I don't want people to use this as an indicator that Alex Pereva is a better fighter than Adesanya, if you know what I mean.
1: Absolutely. The reason I'm not picking Pajeda is, I'll be outright and honest in how, the reason I'm not picking him to win, is there There, there seems something so innately wrong with the idea of Alex Pajeda walking in and becoming champion like this. Yes, yeah. It, it, it. I don't know why it irks me the wrong way. It doesn't feel right. But then again, I'm sure that's how I probably would have sounded uh, to the idea of Brock Lesnar's fighting Randy Couture. I probably sound the same way.
0: And on that cheery note, it is all the time that we have for the UFC 281 preview show. Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure once again for you to take two hours out of your life to ramble on about sports. Um, (laughs) If people want to hear more of your sort of ramblings, where's the best place to go to?
1: Uh, so uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, I think LocoJoe7 on Twitter um, and I started streaming on Twitch again and I've been having a blast with it. I didn't stream at all this week because I had a horrible sleep schedule uh, and so I had to just course correct and fix it. Um, so I did not stream this week but on, I, I stream all the time. I, I stream at least twice a week uh, for hours at a time on uh, at twitch.tv slash LocoJoe39 and i uh, I just tell a bunch of random stories and it turns out my life might have been kind of interesting.
0: You've become,
1: Uh, you've become the V1 of this show. Excellent. I know. And I, I I mean, I am the guy who watches AEW out of of the two of us actually. So, you know, watching their most recent one, that was pretty
0: funny. Um, One of the other things that you do as, as well as the Twitch feed is you cover the retro reviews. Now with this being Mm -hmm. a Madison square garden card, We put it to the public, a selection of classic MSG shows from years gone by. One with the most votes is the one that you'll cover. So we had the choice between UFC 205, UFC 217, UFC 244, and UFC 268. Which one are you going to be covering on Wednesday?
1: Uh, I am so happy you guys voted for this one. Uh, Thank you. Uh, You'll be hearing me say that a lot. But UFC 217 which is the greatest card of all time. Uh, I can firmly say that. Now, I've always maintained it, but rewatching it again, oh, such a great card.
0: It is a fantastic card. I have to say a big thank you to, uh, for you to choose that one. And December's card is going to be an interesting one as well. Now, as things stand, the light heavyweight title is going to be on the line. Yvi Pohavska defending against Glover Teixeira. So we're going to be celebrating one of Light Heavyweight's all-time greats. So, Joe, who are we covering, and what is the short list?
1: The Iceman's coming out to play, or whatever uh, the Tap Out guys did for him. <laughs> That's not one of the choices. <laughs> no, thank, thank the Lord for that one. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's Chuck Liddell fights, classic Chuck Liddell fights, uh, which is great. That's a guy I, I grew up watching as well. Um I remember being like a little kid watching them and going like, oh, this guy, Mohawk looks a little weird, but man, this guy's cool. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah. and your nominees for your classic Chuck card, we selected four of them. So your choice will be either UFC 47, which is his first fight with 2 Ortiz, considered one of the MMA's biggest grudge matches at that point. So it'd be good to see a, an old school card potentially. UFC 52, where Chuck finally wins the light heavyweight title up against Randy Couture also features Matthews vs. Frank Trigg, one of the great comebacks of all time. UFC 66, the first million-buy pay-per-view in UFC history, which was Chuck's rematch against Tito Ortiz. And UFC 79, where Chuck picks up the final win of his MMA career in an epic war against Vandelaar Silva.
1: I made my vote, guys. Get out there and vote. I'm very curious to see what you think. Certainly Uh, so. I won't won't say what I voted for out of bias, but uh...
0: (laughs) Yeah, I have no shame about bias. Um, please choose UFC 269 when you get the chance. Oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just don't make me watch Tito Ortiz, Vladimir Matyushenko, and we got and we're cool. Also, ne- please never make me watch Conor Aldo. Uh, I'll be drinking in that retro review. <laughs>
0: If you do desperately want Joe to cover something, though, I think they've got themselves (laughs) some ideas with you saying that now, Joe. You can do so on the Patreon page. Uh, You can make a nomination, and Joe will try and do his best to get that to you at any point that he can. We've actually got one Patreon nominee, which we will try and get to at some point.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm okay with revealing it if you are. Um, I think we'll let the
0: audience wait on that one for a bit.
1: Fair enough. Shout out to him, uh, to uh, the our, our beloved patron who went ahead and donated for us. That was fantastic. Yeah. Super cool.
0: I'm fairly certain he's watching the show, and I'm fairly certain as well that you have enjoyed it. So thank you very much for tuning in. We've been rambling on for nearly two hours now. I desperately need to go to the toilet, so I'm going to be wrapping it up here. Uh, mine, my name's been Carl Bembridge. That's been Joe Neal. We hope you you enjoy UFC 281 and we'll be seeing you again in a month's time. Bye-bye for now.